The Tragedy of Cinema podcast is intended as a family-friendly program that by extension strives to be inclusive to all people regardless of their ethnicity, gender, creed, or any other identifying factors in this incredibly diverse world of ours. With that said, some of the films we discuss may contain serious subject matters or have content considered morally objectionable by today's standards. We do not intend to condone or dismiss these aspects of these films, but our primary focus will be on what we believe our film succeeds at, some fun facts, and our personal enjoyment factors of each film. With that said, we hope you enjoy the show. Don't you know that it's worth every treasure on earth to be young at heart? Some people will go to any length to stay young forever. Is that someone? It's Madeline Ashton. She was a big star in the 60s. I thought she was dead. Oh, madam, you look younger every day. Thank you, Rose. But Madeline Ashton and her old friend, Helen Sharp. I've lost men to her before are about to go too far. A touch of magic. Drink that potion, and you'll never grow even one day older. Bottoms up. No warning. Now a warning? Siempre viva! Live forever! Ernest, I'm in the morgue. They think I'm dead. You are. But you're not. Are you telling me it doesn't hurt when I do this? It doesn't hurt. She's dead! She's dead, Ernest. Now he's dead. He's dead? Ernest is dead? Everybody's dead! You pushed me down the stairs. I'm so sweaty. I don't think it's sweat, honey. I think you're defrosting. Universal Pictures presents Meryl Streep Bruce Willis It's a miracle! And Gordy Hawn Look at me! I'm soaking wet! Death becomes her I just have to make a telephone call All right, guys, welcome back to the Tragedy of Cinema podcast. I am your host, Jimbo, and today I am joined by my usual cohort in crime. Kyle Zaner here in the house. Not, not really in the house. He is in his own house. In fact, literally not in the house. You're right. You're right. You've ruined the illusion. And also, we are joined by a very special guest all the way down from the hollows of Kentucky. Yeehaw. Well, you're going to tell us your name or just going to be a yeehaw? Uh, my name is Jennifer. Jennifer. Some yes. of you just call you Jen. Um, Jen is actually a co-worker of mine that works in the same building, I guess, but not necessarily uh, close in proximity. So yeah. 
Uh, Jen, wanted, have on this podcast. Yeah. Right. Jen wanted to come on and um, she's wanted to do a couple movies, but uh, I said, well, let me throw one out that you probably haven't seen. And I haven't seen for a long time. And we are going to be talking about death becomes her. This is Kyle and Jen's first time watching this movie, both of them. So I'm pretty excited to introduce them to this madness. <laughs> madness is right. <laughs> but like usual, before we start, there is always a question so we're gonna put kyle on the spot first just All right. so it has more uh time to prepare show me what you got jimbo kyle you either have to pick goldie hahn or meryl streep and give me what you think is their best performance oh I feel like that's a little unfair to Goldie Hawn because I think like Goldie Hawn makes some really good comedies, but Meryl Streep was where it was at for like making those extreme, you know, dramas and all kinds okay. of stuff too. So for Kyle, really you have to pick, you have to pick one of each. There, I'll make it easy on you. Uh, <laughs> just just say Jimbo, you're so just, cruel. <laughs> just say you can't think of a Goldie Hawn movie, Kyle. It's okay. That's fair. That's fair. I mean, I wasn't born in the '80s, so I, I don't. I didn't watch him. Golden Hawk, Golden Hawk. I think. All um, the, I think really like there's only there's only two movies I can think of with Goldie Hawn. Well, three. This one, um, Bird on a Wire, and I think it was uh, what's the one where she was like in the army or whatever or uh, uh, Private Benjamin. Yeah, that was the other one. Thank you, Jen. First Private Benjamin, something like that. Yeah, something like that. I believe so. Okay, well, um, I know Kyle's over there. Kyle, you're gonna have to stop clicking your keyboard because I can hear it, and you're trying to search movies. I, I know what I have, I have to get. I have to get the title right. So for best drama, I'm actually gonna go with the um the the. Well, now not actually not not for the best drama. I'm actually gonna put really go out there for a movie that's probably wrong by most critical preferences. But um, The River Wild with Meryl Streep back in '94. That was a crazy movie starring her saving her kids from like Kevin Bacon, as all families must do someday. Um, and going down a deep river wild, uh, it was rap, raging rapids, basically like that. That's some pretty go good drama. Over, I like you're it. You're gonna go with that over Deer Hunter? Yeah, exactly. Because I, I don't think Deer Hunter. Well, she's not the main character in the Deer Hunter, and I don't want to put her as like that's her best performance. The character one where she had like twenty lines. Yeah, <laughs> feels it feels it feels ungenuine. And for the movies that have like critical performance, like I never watched the Iron Lady, nor do I ever care to, so I'm not gonna put that in there. Um and then for best comedy, I'm gonna put it's complicated. Um um because it stars a co-star which we now can no longer name and uh it's a really good comedy of Meryl Streep and an affair with an older man that she used to be married to. So I enjoy that comedy a great deal. Well who's the um, one that you can no longer name? One Mr. Baldwin, Alf Baldwin. Well yeah. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> you shall not be named. You should not be named. All, All right, right, Jen. Like Sixty-nine months, it's, I guess. I it's know. on to you, Jen. Give me your Goldie Hawn movie and your Meryl Streep movie. I am terrible with Meryl Streep movies, so I'm not even. I, I'm just going to tap right out on that one. There's, there's. I know there's a few, but I cannot remember them. Um, I actually do like the Private Benjamin movie. I like Overboard. I. I Honestly, there's not too many of her movies that I didn't like that I have seen of hers. Oh, so I'm actually surprised I Goldie didn't Hawn, watch. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for Goldie. It's funny that the that you say that because Meryl Streep probably had the more illustrious career, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. And and I, and I feel all bad because I cannot think of one movie off the top of my head right now. 
uh, death becomes her. That's why. Death becomes her. That's absolute classic. Yeah, we could we could have just both defaulted on death becomes her, and then just right. just and just take care of both of them you. at the same time. So that's exactly. what I'll do. I'll just say this, right. um, because honestly, I'm not a big Goldie Hawn or Meryl Streep fan. So half of one, six dozen of the other doesn't matter to me. Um, I get what they're, you just, mean. they're just okay. Uh, I, I will say neither actor has a like remarkably bad performance. I can think of off the top of my head. I can't think of like, oh man, that movie was a stinker. You know, I think they both have a solid career of uh, making some good stuff. Can I just say Goldie Hawn looked creepy in this movie? Her eye, whatever. Man, intentionally so. I give that. Yeah, that like, was, was that was the intention. There wasn't. But we'll know. we'll get there in a few minutes. Uh, so. Kyle, let's go ahead and take it away. Death Becomes Her from, what, 1992, I think? Yes, 1992. In fact, it came out in July 13th, 1992. was directed by Robert Zemeckis. Of, you got to uh, watch those hot dogs, man. <laughs> they just keep popping on the screen. You, like, disappeared. Exactly. All I seen was, like, yeah. there's six hot dogs there. Six hot dogs. Maximum hot dog. As you know, of course, as director of Forrest Gump and um back to the future writer and all kind of stuff too so robert zemeckis great director there legendary director if you will and then we have writers martin donovan and david cope then we have producers um steve starkey and robert zemeckis composer alan Silvestra, and cinematographer dean cundy then we have budget for the film um, for the original budget, we have $55 million, which is the equivalent of about $113.3 million today. And I'm getting uh, little bounces of sound right now. Just make sure that feedback isn't too strong. Now it's here. And for opening weekend, it made only $12.1 million, which would be equivalent of about $25 million today. Then for gross in U.S. and Canada, we have $58 million, so just made over its budget right there. And now we um, that'd be adjusted for inflation would be about $120.4 million in today's revenue. And then gross worldwide, we have a whopping $149 million, and that'd be equivalent about $307 million today. Whoosh. Moving on to technical details, we have a movie runtime of 104 minutes. Sound mix, Dolby SR, color info. This is a color movie. Aspect ratio, we have 1.66 by 1 and 1.85 by 1 for the theatrical ratio. That's good. Uh, transitionary noise as I get to my next fact here. Filming dates, this was filmed between December 9th, 1991 and April 7th, 1992. So very little time there for special effects work to be done on top of the stuff there. Kind of explains it a little bit. Some of the some of the effects later on in the film had a little bit of a limited time scale there, but still very brisk filming time for the 90s, especially. And then moving on to the awards. Drum roll, please. We'll add that sound effect in later or not. We'll find out soon. <laughs> So for the awards in 1993, it won the Oscar for Best Effects and Visual Effects. I'm going to view that on more of the practical level effects going extremely well. So that was excellent on that side. And next we have the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Films. It was not, it was, it won once again best special effects. And then in 1993, it was nominated for um, funniest Actress in Motion Picture, Funniest Actress in Motion Picture for both Goldie Hawn and Meryl Streep, and also Bruce Willis. And in 93, it also won the BAFTA for Best Special Effects. And also in the Awards Circuit Community Awards of 1992, it won, once again, Best Visual Effects. So that was pretty excellent on them for there. 
then we're going to move on to the cast. Excellent cast here, folks. A surprising all-star cast of characters here. So I'm going to go deep on them and see how it goes. We, of course, have the legendary Meryl Streep playing Madeline Ashton Menville. Meryl Streep can, of course, best be recognized from movies such as The Deer Hunter in 1978, The River Wild in 1994, my favorite Meryl Streep movie, as we mentioned earlier. It's Complicated in 2009, my favorite comedy, as mentioned earlier, and The Iron Lady in 2011, a film which I have not nor probably ever will watch. Next up, we have Bruce Willis playing Dr. Ernest Neville. Um, Bruce Willis, of course, best known for films such as Die Hard in 88, Pulp Fiction, also in 88, and The Sixth Sense in 1999, The Whole Nine Yards in 2000, and Armageddon in 1998. 19, uh, 1998, not 88, sorry. A little 10-year difference there, no baby. Goldie Hawn plays Helen Sharp. She can best, best recognize in films such as Private Benjamin in 1980, Overboard in 1987, The Fight Wives, uh, the Fight Wives Club in 1996, Wildcats in 86, House Sitter in 92, then after that, we have Isabella Rosalina playing Lizzie von Roman. She can recognize such films as Blue Velvet in 1986, Fearless in 1993, Enemy in 2013, and Roger Dodger in 2002. Then we have Ian Ogilva playing Chagall. Um, she can recognize in such films as I, Claudius in 1976, My Life in Ruins in 2009, I can relate to that, and Withering Heights in 1970. After that, we have Adam Stork playing Dakota. He can recognize such movies as Mystic Pizza in 1988. Great title of a film. Have the of the Opera in... What's that? You ever seen Mystic Pizza? I have never seen Mystic Pizza. Have I you have, Jimmy Roberts is in it, if I remember right. That's... I, I, well, I have the backlog of my personal list, maybe on the podcast list someday, too. Uh, Mystic Pizza is something that should not be forgotten. Um, that's for sure. I, as, as just learning its existence now, I tell you, it should never be forgotten. <laughs> so, <laughs> The Phantom of the Opera in 1990. And also Highway to Hell in 1991. ACDC song, but no, the movie, yes. Then we have Nancy Fish playing Rose. She has been seeing such films such as The Mask in 1994. That's the good mask, not the new mask or the old mask. So that's a Jim Carrey mask, the best mask. <laughs> then we have Howard the Duck in 1986. Um, not going to say anything on that. Sudden Impact in 1983. Then we have William Frankfather playing Mr. Franklin. Frank Furter? Uh, did you say William Frank Furter? I did, I did say Frank Furter. It's Frank Father playing Mr. Franklin. See, I get this right the first time every time. We have, um, he was in such <laughs> films such as Mouse Hunt in 1997, a critically underrated film, honestly. Um, Harry and the Hendersons in 1987. Oh, that's a great film. one, too. Um, <laughs> and then we have The um, Rocketeer in 1991. Then we have Michelle Johnson playing Anna. She was in such films such as uh, Blame, it on, Blame It on Rio in 1984, Far and Away in 1992, Waxwork in 1988. Then we have Mary Allen Trainer playing Vivian Adams. She was in such films as The Goonies in 1985, Die Hard in 1988, Lethal Weapon 4 in 1998, and Romancing the Stone in 1984. Ooh, going on to a quick little side note here, we have Sydney Pollock playing the doctor scene, um, diagnosing uh, Meryl Streep as dead. How funny and was that scene? 
fantastic scene. And I did not expect to see that man's face in that scene. And it really kind of shot me like, whoa, that's, that's, that's the guy. <laughs> he did the things. Um, he was the director of Tootsie in 1982. And uh, also um, he was in uh, Eyes Wide Shut in 1999. And was a director of another classic Meryl Street film, Out of Africa, in 1985. So that was a pretty excellent little cast right there. And then we have, let's see here. We also had a bunch of actors um, um, playing um, legendary actors or celebrities of um, their respective era. Um, so these actors were um, Ron Stein playing Elvis Presley, um, Bonnie Cahoon playing Greta Garbo, Stephanie Anderson playing Marilyn Monroe, Bob Swain playing Andy Warhol, Eric Clark playing James Dean, a character we've been focusing on for a few weeks now, Dave Brock playing Jim Morrison, and that is the actors playing um, popular celebrities of that era. And that finishes up the cast of Death Becomes Her. Jimbo or Jen, take it from me for a few minutes. Kyle <laughs> said, please, I need a break. Mm -hmm. So, Jen, now that Kyle has lost his breath and he needs a break, why don't like you go ahead and water. people <laughs> that maybe have never uh, seen this movie, give us a quick synopsis of this movie off the top of your head. Told you about putting me on the spot, but here we go. So, I'm basically, <laughs> basically the synopsis as I understand it is that you have Helen, uh, played by Goldie Hawn, who is basically in a hate relationship with her friend, played by Meryl Streep, <laughs> because Meryl keeps taking all of her boyfriends, <laughs> and they go through some hilarious fucking. Excuse my language. Wow, yeah. so, this is family family there, Jen. Man, this is a family family program. It's okay. um, they go through some hilarious hijinks after they both end up at the same place for, uh, you know, in an attempt to both be better. And it just hilariously backfires. And poor Ernest gets caught in the middle. And I'm going to be honest, it took me about 10 minutes to realize that was Bruce Willis at first. Because he looks so <laughs> different. Blame you. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, but as soon as he opens his mouth, he should have known. You know what? I, I'm going to turn in my movie card because I don't know. I guess I just haven't been watching a lot of movies here as of late. And I I really did. Like, even with Goldie, it took me a minute to be like, oh, my God, that's Goldie Hawn. And she looks terrible. Like, <laughs> they did a perfect job on her. Yeah. <laughs> Kyle, that picture of you. I just see Mr. Rogers' shoe by the side of your face getting ready to hit you. <laughs> He knows better than let me talk. He knows. <laughs> uh, I thought like that, that was made for me. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I'm just saying, like, um, I think they're uh, Meryl Streep's like a, um, I guess she was a big celebrity, maybe Broadway star, movie star, or whatever. Yeah. And her time it is like, like, like a Broadway got, actress. She's gotten older and now she's kind of being left in the, in the dust because at the beginning of the movie, she's on Broadway or whatever with Songbird or whatever. And people are getting up and walking out. They're like, hey, I'm glad you wanted to leave. She's terrible. The only one in the whole theater that liked it was Bruce Willis's character. He stands up, starts coming. Yeah, that was beautiful. It was great. Yeah, he found you her know. captivating, as it were. Right. So I think he was already infatuated with her from the beginning. Um, well, they kind of throw a hint to that while they're, while they're talking. He talks yeah. about being familiar with it before. Um, I don't know. I thought it was interesting watching it now, as you know, not watching it back when it came out. Because it, it kind of, you know, Sorry. with the Broadway not being a big, it is a big thing, but, you know, people don't do it as much as they used to. I was like, wow, that's 
definitely very accurate how people act about some of that stuff now. Right. You know, and uh, I don't know. I just I I really enjoyed that part, especially him right. going nuts there. I mean, the but end. really, how how awesome would it have been to just seeing uh, Chris uh, Will Smith go up to Chris Rock with a shovel and smack him with it instead? <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, that would have been funny too. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, I, for the guy who's trying die hard to see him get like his bodily brutally tortured would be hilarious to see in a comedy <laughs> role. You know, for all the stuff he took in Die Hard, Walking on Glass, and you know, getting beat up and all those kind of things too. This is the perfect movie for him to acknowledge, like, oh yeah, all this stuff would kill me immediately. <laughs> right? Should have learned, Bruce. You should have learned. <laughs> should have learned. Should have learned. You know, you know. I actually really enjoyed him in this movie. Like, it was, you know, I don't. I guess I haven't seen him in a whole lot of comedies. I mean, I wouldn't consider Die Hard a comedy or anything like that. But no, and I wouldn't consider it a Christmas movie either, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> Manner of some discussion. That, that's been an ongoing thing with this podcast for since the, we started this thing. So let's go ahead and start throwing out some um, facts, some fun stuff. Fun factoids, if you will. Ten pages of notes here. We'll get through it uh, pretty quickly. And you guys can interject um, anytime you want. Uh, just remember to like, let me give me a heads up or something so I'll know. All right. So, you know, we talk about accidents and the shovel. Uh, Meryl Streep accidentally scarred Goldie Hawn's cheek with a shovel during this fight scene. Gosh. Yeah. Oh, it had to be painful. Mm-hmm. Way to take the shot there, Goldie. <laughs> Bravo to her. Bravo. <laughs> well done. <laughs> well done. Well done. So proud of you, Goldie Hawn. She needs my approval. a mean comment right there, but I held it and I won't say what I was going to say. So no, I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you. It's that's, a, that's, it's, yeah. That's the only one I'm going to say. Yeah. All right. A pneumatic bra was built to create the effect where Meryl Streep's breasts became higher and firmer after drinking the potion, but the effect didn't look realistic enough. In order to get the shot, Streep's dresser stood behind her out of sight of the camera and pushed her breast into position. <laughs> that scene was hilarious, where it's just like, shoop, shoop. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a superpower. I, mean, I know, <laughs> I stand in the mirror like that all the time, and I go, shoop, shoop. You know, <laughs> <laughs> Jealous. I was like, man, I need that in my life. Like, just looking around. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone needs a free push up every now and again, you know? There's an orange push up from the dairy section. <laughs> <laughs> so, at one point, uh, was it Les- Leslie, Elise Lee? Well, how they, how they say her name, Kyle? Do you remember? Uh, uh, I think it was uh, Leslie. Le- is it Leslie? I'm going to say Leslie, and I'm going to stick with it. Yeah, sure. I'm, I'm definitive right now. Right now. Uh, yeah, Madeline, how old she thinks she is. Madeline answers 38, and Leslie gives her a dirty look. Isabella Rosalini was 39 years old at the time of this film. So, uh, This was the first film that used photorealistic human skin software. Oh, okay. Interesting stuff there. Um, because we will talk about it here in a little bit, but uh, they actually made an animatronic head of Meryl Streep for some of those uh, scenes. Yeah, I believe actually it was um, for the process for the visual effects. They were using a um, computer program called Vista Vision, which I imagine that could be like Windows Vista Vision 3FX well, possibly or something like that. A lot of the effects that, that happened in this movie were the first time happening, and they actually used them on Jurassic Park in the next film. So uh, they were. this is at the beginning of the, gra- the special effects era. That explains when you have two dinosaurs in the industry that need to have practical effect, I mean, it's need special effects to look alive, you know, Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn. Two old dinosaurs <laughs> that you thought were extinct fighting. <laughs> <laughs> See, that was the mean joke you were thinking of earlier, but then I no, made it. No, <laughs> no, I mean, I, I can't say it. 
Okay. <laughs> it's really me. Okay. Probably better err on the side. <laughs> yeah, better err on the side of uh, caution. Caution, yeah. <laughs> and Goldie's Han's face. Um, in the opening scene, Meryl Streep's character is starring in a musical version of Songbird of Youth. Well, it's a version of Sweet Bird of Youth by a play by Tennessee Williams about an aging actress who pines for her lost youth. So I thought that was a pretty cool little throw in that they threw appropriate yeah and robert zemeckis is usually famous for throwing stuff in there from other movies too and paying homage to a lot of them um the scene where the resurrected madeline confronts Ernest, meryl streep had to wear a blue screen hood over her head while walking backwards oh wow it had to be very difficult i'm sure yeah Yeah. um also during the description of the plot to kill madeline uh, there was a quick shot of the folder being stamped case closed at a desk. Also on the desk was a brain and a glass jar labeled abnormal. Ah. It was a direct tribute to the original Frankenstein, or as we just covered uh, last and week or a week ago. Young Frankenstein. Young Frankenstein. The Gene Wilder classic. Right. One of my favorites. A little touch with the fried hand. <laughs> <laughs> really? Yeah. I didn't even notice that part. On which one? The, the brain on the desk. I didn't even notice it. Yeah, and there's a little stuff that they have to go back and see it. Uh, during filming, director Robert Zemeckis would say, hold on to your butts. Uh, screenwriter David Cope and uh, frequent Zemeckis collaborator wrote this as a catchphrase for Samuel L. Jackson in Jurassic Park. Oh, so, oh, hold on. Your, oh, yeah, for the Jurassic Oh, yeah, for Samuel L. Jackson brings that line in exactly verbatim um, as soon as he um, resets the computers, I think. Right. You know, hold on to your butts, and then a cigarette drops out of his mouth, and he's really cool. And it's actually probably the most uh, subtle Samuel Jackson role ever. <laughs> uh, well, Snakes on the Plane was pretty good too, but who am I? Uh, the film was originally Similar classic Snakes on the Plane. <laughs> <laughs> the film was originally going to be a sequel to Tells from the Crypt in 1972. Uh, the latter film was a favorite Halloween classic for director Robert Zemeckis when he was just a young man. Uh, Catherine Bell was Isabella Rosalini's nude body double. There is some nudity in this movie, um, so just bear in mind if you're going to watch it with your kids. Um, Kevin Klein was actually Ernest, but Bruce Willis replayed him when he had to drop out. Uh, the film underwent some major re-editing after negative feedback uh, after test screenings. The entire ending was changed. There, uh, Tracy Ullman was actually in this movie, too. But uh, oh yeah, but her role completely disappeared. Even though she still remains in the trailer, so you can see her in the trailer. Oh, I have to play the well. We'll show the trailer on Facebook for sure, or something like that too, so, or on the TikTok channel. Everyone yeah, that you about. still haven't even got around to. I'm sure. I'm, I, it's right around the corner, Jimbo. You don't need to remind me every three months, as I've said. Every three months. How about every seven days? Um, among the guests at the party, as uh, Kyle stated, is Andy Warhol, Marilyn Monroe, Gray DeGarbo, Elvis Presley, Jim Morrison, James Dean, and Kyle Zayner. Uh, animatronic puppets of Meryl Streep's head were created and used to shoot the scene where a resurrected Madeline confronts Ernest. The effect didn't look right in the shot. Ultimately, CGI was used. So I think a lot of this movie, they actually did have animatronics and different wax heads and all that, but they just didn't look right on screen when they were filming them. So they just said, we'll just get rid of the animatronics. We'll just CGI it. I was probably most impressed with the scene of uh, Meryl Streep getting up after she flew down the stairs basically like that and then her body got like resurrecting almost on the spot was incredibly impressive i think i was more impressed with goldie hong getting out of the uh the pool and standing up and turning sideways and the water's leaking out of both sides and then she stands there and you can see meryl streep and bruce willis through her 
And if you watch her walk towards them, and uh, I think it's Meryl Streep goes behind her, and she actually bends her head down, and she see you see her face through her, and I, that's just really great attention to detail and and CGI right there. I, I agree. I think that's probably like probably the proof of concept shot of that whole movie, even of having that one scene kind of play out, and like it's it's incredibly impressive for the time, but also I wouldn't be surprised if that was a relatively simple effect of like compot, you know, like having a post shot of her basically with a green stomach and then filling it in later with a, you know, the video of Meryl Streep setting her head down in there and all kinds of stuff. Well, I mean, too. but if you look, you it know. even shows the background of like the walls of the, the, the house and everything that was, yeah. Yeah. But I even then like motion tracking and, things, the like, and they showed the, that's what I liked when they, she sat down on the couch and they showed like the handle going yeah. through and made it look, you know, pretty oh, yeah. realistic. I'm really impressed. Yeah. I'm really impressed. I, I agree. All right. Yeah. I'm about ready to put you two on the spot. So, Look at me. I don't want you you looking at your phones for this, okay? Okay, no phones. Hands up. This is the second Robert Zemeckis film to win the Oscar for Best Visual Effects. The other Zemeckis films that won this award, there's two of them. Which two is it? Two of them. And it's not Back Um, to the Future. You, Jimbo, how dare you? Uh, What are you doing here? Okay. okay. So as an expert of all of Robert Zemeckis' career, and I didn't just look up his name again because I knew it sounded vaguely familiar. Um, I'm going to say it was Tootsie um, mm-hmm. both times. It was, it was Tootsie and then Tootsie 2. Tootsie Rides Again? Tootsie. No. Yeah, Tootsie Rises Again. Yeah, um, Tootsie, Tootsie Strikes Back. The oh, Return no. of the Tootsie. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm blanking out. I'm the so last sorry. Tootsie. All right, the first one was from 1988, The Great Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh, that's a classic. Yes, and I agree. the second one, which you guys are going to be really upset about, in 1994, Forrest Gump. I'm not upset about that at all. I think that's probably perfect. It's probably just for that feather shot they did well, at the beginning of the uh, film, right? That's all I'm going to say about that. Okay, let's move on. Robert's next is a box of chocolates, as we all know. <laughs> you never know what kind of movie you're going to get. Is that, Robert, that, 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 that is true in the past 20 years, especially. I think after Forrest Gump, he's like, I want to do really weird CG movies, like the Polar Express. And it's like, really, Robert? Hey. You can do anything <laughs> else. <laughs> Don't be bashing Polar Express, man. You're going to have people come after you. I, the, you know, the book was good. <laughs> like, I'm just saying, I've been peas and carrots with people my whole fucking life since that movie came out. Language. Ah, sorry. I'm like one of those air horses. I'm like, Arr! put it over here. You, you get a swear jar in your home. <laughs> you know, from work, I, I, it's worse. I'm, I'm working on it. I'm sorry, y'all. You just got a sailor in the group today. It's good. <laughs> We're not covering Popeye. Sorry. It's the rage from that movie. I'm telling you. Like, I'm telling you. Exactly. I learned from watching you. It's good. <laughs> so, 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 what were you saying, Jen? Oh, I was, oh, about that movie. I was saying, like, you know, I've been listening to people make jokes about Forrest Gump because my name is Jenny for my whole time. <laughs> oh, wow. <laughs> you should have. Because yeah. now, every time I work, I see him. Jenny. Yeah, that's going to be great. Thanks for letting me know. I never even put that together. I just took classic. Yeah, so, for Great. I keep going by Jenny because of that movie. Well, it's, it's making a comeback. <laughs> well, so, trust me, I'm South Park affected my life too. So <laughs> you understand. Uh, in the scene where Helen sits down onto a shovel handle, 
She didn't sit in the way she was expected to. So the VFX people at Industrial Light Magic had to morph the image to make it look like the shovel handle was going through her chest, which is what you were talking about there, Jennifer. She did a good job. Yeah. yeah, they did. Yeah. They did. Yeah. Really impressive. Once again, I mean, that's like, why they won the Academy Award or what Oscar for best visual effects because some of the stuff w- had never been done at that time. So, yeah, uh, time, the, it holds up pretty well watching it. Oh, yeah. You know, this little later. Yeah. And I just, I'm surprised neither one of you are, have ever seen it before. <laughs> yeah. I, 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 I always wanted to see it, but I just never, I, I never catch it or I've never really, like, when I am watching movies, it just doesn't float to the forefront. So, yeah. I think it's like perfect backlog filler. Like you see it there with all the names on it, and you like that it has a good like um uh, 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 uh image for like the first like you know the cover art. And I'm like, this yeah, movie looks like yeah. it'd be a fun time sometime. But I have 20 other movies to watch that everyone tells me is good all the time. Yeah. So I'm gonna watch every other movie except Death Becomes Her. And so have this. This is where this is where we have a podcast to force ourselves to watch these movies that everyone else puts in their backlog like, for twenty years. I have a backlog of movies like that that everyone has, like like Avatar, for example. I, everyone says that movie is great. I, I don't, I don't know. I've not watched it. Eh, I haven't okay. finished the War of the Rings like, trilogy. Like if you like Pocahontas, you'll probably like Avatar. That's not I'd say that. <laughs> Time out. Did you just hear what she tried to sneak in there, Kyle? What she, she tried to say in there? Tried to see it, sneak it in there when you start talking. She said. She still either hasn't finished the Lord of the Rings trilogy or she hasn't watched it. That's that's the appropriate thing to do. No one should watch Star Wars or Lord of the Rings anymore. I, I think that's a whole thing. Um, just stop watching films that have way too many fan bases that are way too powerful. I I, I don't care for them anymore. You know, like, you never watched Star Wars, and then they try and lynch that person. All the other stuff they got the pitchforks. No, but I'm just saying, you should it's at like least, no, no, no. Never watch. At again. least watch the Lord of the Rings trilogy. Is all I'm saying. Once, at least once. You would agree, Kyle. I mean, I it's about movies, but I also think like well. like they've already hit that cultural zeitgeist where like you're either going to watch it or you won't, and that's all up to you at this point. I could not hey. hear less at this point if you watch. You know, Lord of the Rings. Like, it's already had its effect on the world. It's about hobbits like your family heritage. So I don't think she, I think she should watch it. Not a hobbit. <laughs> I just like hot dogs, Jimbo. It's okay. <laughs> what about second hot dogs? <laughs> You know what the best part about this is she's laughing at that joke and she doesn't even get it that it's from Lord of the Rings. That's the funniest part about this whole joke. I'm sure everyone heard the second hot second breakfast joke. (laughs) (sighs) Let's move on. We've we've derailed. Uh, For the majority of the movie, Madeline wears white or black and Helen wears red. The only one exception was in Helen's fantasy sequence in which Madeline wore a red dress and she wore a white dress. This is shown in one of the film's uh, main promotional posters, too. So this is where they put her in the car and threw her over the cliff or whatever. So uh, oh, the, trailer, right. the trailer features the theme from Tells from the Crypt in 1989 by none other than Danny Elfman, who we've talked about a ton of times on this podcast. Uh, the shots in the psychiatric clinic were, uh, where Helen is brought look exactly like those in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest from 1975, which is another great film that we've covered on this podcast. Agreed. 1970. Wait, which one again? Say it again. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Yes, man. Oh, wow, that was like almost a year and a half ago, I think. We yeah. No, even or even longer. Yeah, excellent. Are you film. part excellent of the film. podcast thing, Kyle? Uh, no, never. I, 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 I admit no association with this committee, and uh, I plead the fifth on all situations. Um, if you look closely, the figure of a nude woman and a nude man can be briefly glimpsed inside the vial of potion Madeline purchases 
suggesting ominous things about its ingredients. And if you look closely, carefully during the close-up of Madeline's check that she's handing over and then the vial when she's changing hands and when they're drinking it, you can see them in there. It's just like, looks like a genie in a bottle, kind of. Oh, uh, and the I sequ- Do what? And I missed that for sure. I didn't see that part. Yeah, you just yeah. see that pink sparkle. It's hard to see. I had to slow down and zoom I in. I like the, the pink, like, you know. Swirly thing? Yeah, yeah, I just saw, yeah, you know, pink swirly goodness. It's really you know, hard. No to doubt see. somebody's like a children's soul or something like that is in there. <laughs> no. Yeah. Uh, actually, yeah. When, it, when in the script, it was actually supposed to be like a gray metallic looking thing she was supposed to drink. So they changed it probably visually. Uh, it was definitely more visually interesting to have the pink swirly juice. Right. It's definitely somebody's soul. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the scene where Mr. Chagall abruptly shows up during Madeline's apartment with Anna. Uh, at the beauty spa, Anna quickly loses her French accent. This is to show that the beauty spa is actually fake, a shallow environment. Anna and the receptionist's fake European accents are part of the facade. I did note that. I, I hated his accent. That his accent. <laughs> After Kevin Klein dropped out of the film and turned down the role of Ernest Minville, Jeff Bridges auditioned for the role, but Bridges was turned down. Cody, you have done it. Jeff Bridges can do anything anytime he ever wants to. And the idea of turning him down is uh, should be a capital crime punishable by death. Um, I think that's the only appropriate option. Well, you know what, Kyle? Since he turned this movie down, I think he definitely burnt some bridges, if you know. Uh, <laughs> uh, thanks to the technological events for film, Industrial Light and Magic used some of the same techniques for Jurassic Park, as I stated earlier in 1993. Um, originally in the script, there were other celebrities, some of who were living at the time of production, were supposed to appear at Leslie's, uh, Lisa's party. Those celebrities included George Harrison and none other than the great Dick Clark. How awesome would it have been to have a Dick Clark New Year's Rocket Eve celebration down there at the bottom of the, of the house? That would have been amazing. <laughs> um, let's see here. When Ernest is running around the emergency room trying to find a doctor for Madeline, Kurt Russell can be seen giving an interview on a television in the waiting room. Goldie Hawn, who plays Helen, had been in a relationship with Kurt Russell since 1983. Uh, the exterior of Ernest and Madeline's mansion was shot, is located at 1125 Oak Grove Avenue in San Marino, which is located in Los Angeles County, California. However, the interior was built on a sound stage. You know, Kyle, we always talk about uh, Siskel and Ebert's list and how, you know, it's on their the greatest movies list and all that. But yeah. The critics Siskel, Gene Siskel and Robert Ebert gave this film a thumbs down, stating that though the visual effects were great, it lacked any real substance or character depth. And I think they were wrong. I, I think uh, Siskel and Ebert, I think they, they they were excellent critics, obviously. They have a huge history of being excellent critics. Um, but I think that was, their focus was on always kind of like male-centric minded films. And I think this movie is is uh, is made for women, kind of by women, kind of the idea, basically. And so they watch the film like, I don't get it. What do you mean a woman has feelings? A woman has emotions? And they just like kind of thumbs down, like, I, you know, just, just, why isn't movie hoping about Bruce Willis the whole time? <laughs> are, you, are you calling Robert Zemeckis a girl? Because you said made by girls. No, no, not made by girls. The idea of made for girls, kind of like with a by girl kind of mentality behind it. I think this is a movie um, for women <laughs> not in a bad way at all i think this movie is the main idea and the main focus of it so i think robert england and uh you know uh, no cisco and uh, ebert didn't get that i think that's kind of a uh, failing time i think uh oh what was the movie um it was the megan fox film um wasn't girlfriend Next Door, 
yeah, Perfect Body, same deal, um, same thing. Where like that movie got like critically panned right in the early two thousands, and then like ten years later, like, oh wow, we all like this now, didn't we? No one ever said anything bad about this. And it's like, no, 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 you all didn't get that. That was not for just the thirteen year old boy. <laughs> yeah. So here we go. So Helen actually drinks the potion. She says on October 26, 1985, this is the present date, the date that Marty goes back in time and back to the future in 1985, which was also directed by Robert Zemeckis. Small world. Here we go. The original. (laughs) He throws out stuff in there all the time. The original ending was overall different from the theatrical version. It involves Tracy Ullman's character, Tony, helping Ernest in a ruse of faking his own death in order to get away from Madeline, Helen, and uh, Leslie. 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 L-I-S-L-E. Leslie. The plan worked, and the two end up running away to Europe to start a new life together. Many years later, Madeline and Helen, both parodies of their former selves, with cracked pilling paint and putty covering most of their gray and rotting flesh, are on vacation in Switzerland. Yet they are completely bored and miserable. They notice an elderly couple being affectionate, and they become envious of them. As the couple gets into a car and drives away, Madeline and Helen realize it's Ernest and Tony and chase after them, only to be hit by an oncoming car and break into pieces, similar to how it ended in the movie. That's a, at first, I was thinking, like, this ending's going to be terrible. Then I was like, no, the more I hear about it, I'm like, oh, this actually, this works too. Wait, there's, one even, better, there's one even better that we're going to get to. You're going to be like, that should have been it. Okay, uh, go for it. Uh, actually, it's the next fact. Uh, in the original, <laughs> one of the original proposed endings, Madeline Helen steal a car from one of the guests at Leslie's party in order to chase after Ernest. However, they end up accidentally driving off a cliff and crash into a huge explosion. Then Madeline and Helen emerge from the wreckage as shard skeletons. <laughs> that's oh, a great army of darkness style. I love that. <laughs> it should have just been army of darkness by the end. That's where you just you just need to watch the third act of Army of Darkness. What would even be funnier is they would have the two Doberman pinchers come up and bite their legs, take one of their legs each of their whole slow. Fantastic. I love that absurdity. I want it so bad now. You could probably yeah. still do that. You, you, you get some puppets, you can make that ending happen. I think you can do it. Okay. Uh, I feel robbed. Do what? But I feel robbed now. I didn't exactly. See that. Yeah. Uh, in several scenes toward the end of the film, references to deceased musicians and actors are visible. When Bruce Willis's character, Ernest Menville, falls through the glass roof and lands in the pool, Jim Morrison can clearly be seen with a girl. Later on, an extra playing James Dean turns around with his signature hairdo as Ernest steals his gray spider, which we've talked about, Kyle. That, that scene specifically just kind of flew me for a loop because here I thought like, okay, we've just finished our James Dean trilogy. We're going to do the real talk later about it, all that stuff. And then it's like, okay, now I'm going to watch Death Becomes Her, a movie which definitely doesn't have anything to do with James Dean. And then he pops up there like, son of a gun. <laughs> <laughs> I was free of this man. Yeah, and he pulled and, me uh, back during in. the big welcome address at the ball, Elvis Presley is scolded for not making a random public appearance. He's like, I was just out there having some fun, man. <laughs> Uh, which, you know, a lot of, of his hardcore fans think that he is still alive, but, but hiding from the public guy. So I thought that was pretty clever, funny of him. Yeah. Um, at Helen Sharp's book signing event, upon closer inspection, there's the uh, the brooch is pinned on one of the straps on Helen's dress. So she's obviously been taking the potion longer than you you, you thought. Yeah. I think um, if you made this movie today, you'd have like Paul Rudd and Keanu Reeves there too, as like the angel actors who have nation a day in 30 years. <laughs> no, you probably have to have Paul Walker in there. Walker. 
<laughs> yeah, well, he'd be the one of those like, like you're supposed to have gone away. You know, no one's seen you the past three years. You've done a good job. But then Keanu Reeves and Paul Rudd just escort him off the room. Initial <laughs> <laughs> Paul Walker. Yeah. Um, from, yeah. James Dean, the star in the film, though, he'd be the main character. He'd be the earnest character. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You keep saying about this movie that's coming out with James Dean as a CGI, but I still don't believe you. So from when, she right, first took right. the, from when she first took the potion in 1985 to when she gets killed in 1992, which I don't even know if Kyle was born yet. No, I was not. <laughs> then were you born? Oh, I was way born by that point. So was I. I, I, was, I wasn't even a wee I was like in eighth yet. grade or something. Eighth or ninth grade, yeah. Oh I was at least in elementary school at that point. <laughs> uh, I enjoy her, her eternal youth and beauty for seven years. Whereas Madeline enjoyed her eternal youth and beauty for only one night before she gets killed shortly thereafter <laughs> falling down the stairs. How great is the scene where she wakes up in the morgue and, and those, goes in there and he's in the back. <laughs> it's just like, it was I passed out and then it was dark. Now, yeah. I'll get to it in a second. Um, after he finishes examining, the doctor finishes examining the Madeline, uh, which is a pretty funny scene in the movie because she's dead. He can't get the heartbeat. You know, she's got vertebrae, neck bone sticking out and all that. Like smacking the stethoscope. Yeah. Like. And he's like, hello, hello. Uh, <laughs> you see him sit down and he takes the uh, tablet out of his po- uh, pocket and puts it under his tongue, which is, as we know, a what, nitroglycerin tablet. Um, in the case that the doctor has heart issues already. So he's probably already suffered a heart attack at least once. Um, so in the next scene, when Ernest is out there looking for him, he looks over there. There's the doctor being operated or, you know, dead, basically. Yeah in the um yeah for for a brief second too i thought the whole movie was gonna take a huge twister at the last second like no one was dying as soon as he got into the emergency room he saw the guy with skin knees and injured i thought he'd be looking around seeing like other people with like arrows in their their heads stuff like that or a tomahawk on their skull and it's like oh no one's dying for some reason and that would have been the crazy plot twist of the movie but then it was like then it went to the doctor who was immediately dying of the nitroglycerin pills and i laughed you know okay would have been even crazier as if he would have said i see dead people even out yet but i mean it would have been a cool throwback you could have robert Zemeckis predicted the future exactly robert Zemeckis. he's already been to the future he's done he's done it once right so um let me ask you a question okay i'm ready for you and questions. i and i i think i i have the answer so i'm not going to say it yet but when you see him walking down the hallway to the uh the morgue and you see those three nuns come floating by. All right. Mm-hmm. Why Why do you think they were there? The three nuns? Do you remember the three nuns that come floating out there crying and they go passing, coming out of the morgue? Uh, I, I, I guess they must have heard the noise of her screaming and complaining like that and like ran out terrified, but I, I'm not sure for certain. Well, what is the reason, Jimbo? Or, or you can Jim? pass it off to Jen, see what she, Jen thinks. I thought they were probably giving last rites. That's what I assumed was going on when I saw them float by. But then it was they did that like little creepy sort of music, and I was like, "Ooh, what are we? What are we doing here?" So oh, were they the oh, the undead ladies too? Possibly it's checking in on Meryl Streep. <laughs> Actually, it's there's there's a couple things. One, somebody said that um, it's a way that they know that basically her soul is gone for the worst. Um, you know what I mean? Blah blah blah, but actually, it's very nice. soul is three nuns. Simpler, that's simpler math. That's math. There was a deleted scene 
and where there is a, oh. a a priest in the morgue, and they went down there to confirm that it was indeed the priest, uh, the priest, and that's when they were walking out. So they just left that in the movie. So I wish it was something really cool, but no, it's just that it was cutscene. They just left that part in there. Liked it though. I mean, it, it added a little touch of creepy to him going down there, you know. Yeah, and the way they were floating, they weren't walking. They were just like they were just like floating. Like, and I was like, okay. Mm-hmm. So Kyle, that makes sense now. I understand now. Okay, thank you for explaining. I will let Jen go first on this one. Jen, what? Give us your thoughts on this movie, and do you think people should watch it? Oh, I think everyone should watch it. I think it's a good movie. Um, I mean, thoughts is in like overall of the movie. I whatever you want to say about the movie, go ahead. Well, I mean, as this I said earlier, this is now like, the Jen podcast. So, Jen, whatever you want to say. I liked this movie because it had me cheering and then like not cheering for both of the women at different times during this movie. So, like at the beginning, when when Helen gets like basically loses uh, to Madeline. And she's like all sad and stuff. And I'm like, oh, and then she's, you know, the gets crazy, to that point where she's getting She opens the thing with all the cat food in there, the cats up there. I'm like, oh, like, you know, like, yeah. oh, man, you've been crushed. Like, yeah, go, Helen, get your revenge. You deserve it. Yeah, I, I, yeah. And she, she was talking about the, she called it the Madeline Ashton test. And I'm like, oh man, this woman's just like been railroaded by this friend her whole life, you know, but then later on the tables kind of turn and I find myself kind of, you know, looking at her, at Meryl's character. I'm, I'm going to mess up the name. So I'm just going to call them by their actors. That's what um, I do all the time. <laughs> but, uh, you know, then I'm looking at her while, you know, Goldie's going in there and basically trying to, you know, take her man after things already happened. And I'm like, oh, you've you've gone full circle. Now I want you gone too. And then and then by the end of it, I'm like, at first, I'm I'm, you know, not too thrilled with Ernest because I'm like, man, this man is getting played on both sides. And then at the end, he's basically the the better character of the three. I was like, oh my God. Like, yeah, because originally like, Ernest is like a scoundrel to, at the whole movie. Like you're just like, like oh, he left his wife immediately to go get to another woman and all kinds of stuff too. And like you just you just make overs the dead people, doesn't do anything of real value in the world. I mean, and then at the end of the movie, he's actually the only character with like any semblance of professional morale at the end. He's actually and they're laughing and they're talking about how like he's made such a, an indelible mark on the world and had all these kids, and they're just both sitting there, like, you know barely holding themselves together at this point yeah. when I'm this is up her eyebrow and you know I'm like tool sheds <laughs> you know? Yeah, I'm like, I'm like I guess he did really make the better choice by not drinking that not having to deal with those two women you know like oh man yeah but I think it was I mean you could tell his character when he's actually up there spray painting him you know her leg or whatever she he, he touches it and he looks on his finger and he holds it up to like her waist and he's like oh it's not the same color you know he can't match it up <laughs> <laughs> I guess a whole new thing to spray on tan, you know what exactly. I mean? And I'm trying to go through my notes here. Like uh and obviously I can't read half these notes because <laughs> I'm trying to keep it friendly. Um I did I did enjoy the, the karma of Madeline taking her man, but then ultimately being totally unhappy with him. Like, you know, that whole time. Yeah. And you know, I'm like, oh, that's what you get. But then <laughs> but then later on I'm like, 
you both deserve to be miserable. You're both miserable people. I guess that's the whole point of this movie. Is people yeah they're making these terrible choices and eventually they're kind of bringing it on themselves like they should have realized when Ernest leaves you to go to the other man Ernest might not be worth dating they never none of them ever occurs they're like you just never needed Ernest that's what you never need they're fighting over a non-man I was like he's not even worth it you're you're making yourself fat and going and signing deals with the devil and you're over here trying to hang on to your youth and fighting for a man you don't even want the entire time I, I love how like non-charming uh, like Bruce Willis is in this whole film too. Like they did the makeup on him too, make him just a little bit kind of grungy looking and not in a good way. Just like it's, he looks like living dandruff almost on his face. But did you <laughs> just, did you catch when Meryl Streep after she takes the potion and she comes back and they're having an argument and she tells Ernest that you know basically he's impotent. You know what uh-huh. I mean? At the end of the movie, if you listen carefully at the funeral service for Ernest. It says that he got married and had six kids, two boys and four girls, which is also hilarious because, I mean, he was, I think we've been in his fifties. They said when he started having kids. Yeah. So Ernest did have the good ending. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. He did. By the end, he made something of his life. He realized that like he needs to focus on himself to be happy and not just the validation he got from his, his wife. And uh, cause he got zero validation from his wife. So he figured that stuff out for himself in a really positive way. So like, you know, all these characters were miserable and almost irredeemable from the outside looking in, except Ernest, who went off for 37 years and then discovered like the fact of his life to focus on himself and actually make something about himself to help others and also be good in his own personal mind. And like that's the reason he takes the lesson to bring in. Like, yeah, he made it in 37 years. He actually, you know, he, he figured it out. And then Meryl Streep and Goldie Hawn they were just laughing at him. He was like, no, no, clearly he's wrong. Being miserable forever is the answer. And uh, sometimes I agree with both sides of those ideas. <laughs> well, there were, there were a couple of quotes I enjoyed in here, too. Like uh, when Meryl's character calls, says, do you know what they do to soft bald, overweight Republicans in prison? I was like, oh, no. <laughs> still true today. Still true today. <laughs> now that they wait till prison, they have their own parties for that. Can I just mention, what is it? Lisa, whatever her name is. The, the potion lady. Sorry. Oh, um, yeah, I'll look it up. Her, her little henchmen look like terrible 80s wrestlers. Like, I was like, what is this velvet? Like, I, looked at that, I thought like one of them was Fabio for sure. I was, wearing, I was like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, well, there was uh, there was rumors there was that a- they were going to make her a lot older than what she was. Like, basically, she was Cleopatra. So basically, she's and there was also there's also rumors that they were going to have uh, where uh, Abraham Lincoln, uh, Tom, Abraham Lincoln, Benjamin Franklin, and somebody else. Uh, basically, she offered the potion to them, but they turned it down, and that's why she had them killed. Basically, so um, think about how cool it would have been actually for like for the scene of Marilyn Monroe. It was JFK and Marilyn Monroe together at the last scene there. Been, that would have been that would have been really clever. <laughs> really clever. I can definitely see the Egyptian influence, though, because, you know, right. she's got that knife and everything and the, the way they had her hair done. Like, I can definitely see where they might have been going with that. She reminds me of, like, um, Gozer the Gozerian in Ghostbusters. <laughs> that reminds, <laughs> that's, that's the vibe I got of her. It's like just minus electricities and only a few less bubbles, surprisingly. <laughs> and that was her in Ghostbusters. <laughs> <bubble>. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, so, Jim, you got some more stuff? That your overall thoughts. Well, if you say you like it, <laughs> <laughs> I also enjoyed that. You know, at first, like like I said, this this movie made me go on a roller coaster of feelings about how I felt about every one of these characters. 
because, you know, initially when the two girls make up, I'm like, yeah, screw Ernest. Y'all finally figured it out, you know, but then later on, I'm like, no, screw you ladies. Ernest was the smart one getting up out of here when he could and not taking this potion and leaving you all. I like when they, when they were trying to drug him with that drink and he's up there talking. Rigid Goldie Hawn was the whole time just tap, 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 <laughs> the bottle. <laughs> They're just looking at each other like, like he's gonna do it right. They're not even listening to him at that point. Just like just drink the bottle. Like we don't care. We and he just finally walks away about taking. He's like, what? The? And, <laughs> just and I like the callback. I like the callback at the end of the film where they slip. Uh, Goldie Hawn slips on the uh, canister outside of the funeral. Uh, and uh, if you see her, she's like, "Help me!" And then you see Meryl Streep just take her finger and go, because that's exactly what Ernest did to her when he she fell down the stairs. So, but yeah. Goldie Hawn grabs her and they both go down and they just shatter. I think that is hilarious. You see their their heads, Meryl Streep's out there, and then Goldie Hawn just comes rolling in. <laughs> hey, can I just say I enjoyed Bruce Willis going, "Oh boy, oh boy." <laughs> <laughs> First thought, I was like, this is a miracle. <laughs> the Lord saved you, Mayor Street. <laughs> just simply says Choka. I'll let you all fill that in. <laughs> yeah. Hot dog. <laughs> Hot dog. Oh, uh, we've all been there. <laughs> I get all upset after she's like totally berating him. I'm like, yes, get her. And then I'm like, oh, she went down a lot of steps. <laughs> And that, like the third fall, man, she just breaks her neck on the stairs, like, and you're like, oh, that's yeah. not gonna be good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's just like it's like good, good, ooh, ah, ah, and then and then it just kept bad. going. It just kept going. She's like, she's in there when she first gets up, and she goes into the room, and she's like, she's looking down. She's like, my, I can't say it, my butt. It's back. It's finally back. And I was like. Yeah, it's <laughs> like there it is. I found it. I can see this. <laughs> she looks down. She didn't go. It's still lifted. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so many good, like just small little throwaway jokes for the adult audience. Really good too. Yeah. I, I, yeah. I would say again, like I think like this film like pushed the boundaries of like PG thirteen of the time. Like you can't go any further than that. Just being R rated. <laughs> Speaking of that, when Goldie is trying to hook up with Ernest and she's like, sex, sex. And she was like, who wrote this dialogue? Like, I'm not hilarious, but I'm like, she's just whispering it and trying to be all seductive. And I'm like, it's just a it's, it's like a nine-year-old at a playground, like just seeing the word as a taboo. It's so good. It's so good. It's just so absurd. Like, what are you, a child? What are you? I just, I never could say it. I was a Puritan. <laughs> oh, classic stuff. Classic yeah, stuff. That, that part was true to get to. Okay, so I, I guess I'll, I'll move on to my overall thoughts. <laughs> like that, we'll get All right. Right in this area so um yeah my overall thoughts were this movie was excellent i agree with jen entirely i think other people should watch this um this is definitely a strong pg-13 movie so keep that in mind this is a movie that i don't think kids would really enjoy or or definitely understand at the very least but it is a good film for adults and uh, probably younger adults in the teenager area they'll probably get a good kick out of it and there's a lot of good fun um i would i'd say um slapstick adjacent kind of humor and like uh fun body horror and body horror comedy in a way that i really appreciate in a good fun way so this was an excellent film all the jokes were good the james Ing reference caught me off guard and i really enjoyed that and uh really recommend anyone seeing it this is kind of those movies where um 
you can really I, I think like it deserves a little category in like the thousand movies you see before you die just because you need to know how far you can just kind of go out there and be insane <laughs> like this movie is crazy you need to watch it at least once put it on your lifetime list for sure so i enjoyed it very much yeah and finally that gives us to jimbo jimbo how do you feel about it <laughs> crack the knuckles Get well, Kyle, jen you hated it you're both tell wrong. me you're both <laughs> wrong. and let I'm me tell you what. why are we wrong was there great visual effects special effects absolutely was there good acting performances absolutely was it a award-winning Oscar-worthy best movie category? Absolutely yes. not. No. Yes, it was. No. Yes, it was. Well, you're going to this, It's so good that you haven't even seen it, Kyle. So this, I made you watch it. So don't tell me it was a good movie. The, I don't think it's an Oscar-winning I enjoyed it. Don't get me wrong. I enjoyed it. But I think I will have to agree with Cisco Niebert that it's not very deep. It's very shallow at best. Um, guy cheats on girl with a lot of girls girl guy cheats on girl with a new girl old girl gets mad gets revenge on guy girl gets accidentally killed guy falls in love with that girl still and has to make plans and then ends up getting uh, the happy ending that he deserved yes i see your hand raised i'm not done though you let me keep going he's got to keep digging this hole for himself once i turn it back over to her it's i'm gonna yell at you too um it's not an. Uh, I don't think it's an award-winning performance by anybody on there. Even though they went on to do great, or even movies before this, like Deer Hunter and stuff like that, dramas, uh, Bruce Willis, Sixth Sense, uh, you know, Fifth Element, stuff like that. Uh, Goldie Hawn, I couldn't even tell you a movie she was in besides Bird on a Wire, I think. And that, I don't think she's very good actress. I'll say it. I don't like her. Damn. I think she's creepy. I think she's creepy anyway. It was and a this movie. Look really creepy. Them eyes in the water, and she comes out, and she just looks like, oh, she already looks I like love- death. Do what? I? I loved that scene. Oh, I like, know. I, I liked it, but she looks creepy. I'm going to um, join a, a Goldie Hawn fan club out of spite of this. <laughs> like I said, I enjoyed the movie. I think it's a funny comedy, but is it is it one of the greats of all time? No, I can't say that. And I think that's where Siskel and Ebert were trying to take it. Like, if you put this up there as some of the greatest comedies of all time, Kyle, um, and we've talked about a lot of them. I mean, you know, we're getting ready to cover, cover Animal House here in a couple of weeks. Um, and that was the first National Lampoon's movie that started it all back in what, the late 70s, I believe, early 80s. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, if you come up with what? Uh, give me some other great comedies of all time, Kyle. Christmas Vacation. There's Christmas Vacation. Uh, you know, even... Even that is is way heads above heads above this movie. Uh, a Christmas Story heads above this, not Doctor Phil, Kyle. Uh, <laughs> Doctor um, Phil is a comedic like mastermind said, can, in his own you, way. But just... you can enjoy this movie for what it is, which I did. But I don't think I think it's exactly where it needs to be. I don't think it deserves to be one of the greatest movies of all time. Uh, you know what I mean? I don't think it deserves to be in the top one hundred, which I'm sure it's not. Um, I can appreciate what it brought through uh, to, with special effects and all that. I just think it was a very shallow movie. Uh, I was, you know, it, it didn't really do a lot of character building for me. Um, you you went so by so fast because it was like seven years later, then fourteen years later, then forty years later, or whatever it was. You know, I mean, you didn't have time to develop the relationships and the hatred so much. I would have loved to seen a little bit more of, of like a maybe. Uh, uh, Co- collaboration yeah. of what had ha- what had happened before in yeah. 
uh, Helen's life with Bruce Willis to make her just absolutely hate him so much. I would say one thing I do need to interject on just a little bit. I feel like this film, this film specifically is lampooning um, the Hollywood uh, kind of like world and lampooning the shallowness of these actors who are obsessed with their self-image, um, specifically in Meryl Streep's character and Billy Hahn as well. They're both all about their self-image and how they're seen and how they want to be um, viewed by others. And I think this movie is making fun of them. That is an incredibly shadow and sad and pathetic thing. And that's what it kind of gets um, Goldie Hahn and Meryl Streep's character in the end. And that's why I appreciate this film. I think it's kind of like, a, it's another like, it's another field of comedy that's lesser explored in this film. And I think this film does an excellent job of covering it where no other film is even like playing in the same game, basically like that. I feel like it's doing its very own niche thing and doing it very well in a point where like, this is its own little category of like, if you, if you're looking for this film, this is the film to watch, you know, like for, of this kind of niche kind of shallowness to lampoon on this film is the one film that does it and does it very, very well. So I think that's why I kind of like, I recognize it as like a, a necessary movie in my mind. Okay, let me ask you a question then. I'll ask you both. What um, what movies, because we know this is not A-tier, A-tier movie, what movies would you put in the same categories as this movie? Same category as this movie. Um, uh-huh. Off the top of my head, maybe a movie like Tropic Thunder, um, Ben Stiller and uh, uh, Robert Downey Jr. and things like that too, kind of lampooning um, Hollywood actors and like how obsessed they get with their roles and how they want to be recognized in Hollywood films. Um, I think Jen has one. I, I was going to say, uh, have you ever seen a movie called Transylvania Twist? No, Jen. Transylvania oh, Twist. That's that like a title for a movie that would be Jason does for sure. It, it, it's, it's a comedy, just kind of like this. But um, I was going to say, for me, this movie, it, it's, I mean, you're right. It's not like an award-winning movie. It's not what I would say is one of my top movies of all time. But I do think that this this kind of movie sets a precedent for movies like Scary Movie. You know, you can see a lot of that kind of humor playing into it. Um, there, like I said, that movie Transylvania Twist that I was talking about, it's very similar. It, the storyline is forgettable, but it's also doing a lot of lampooning and calling back to different movies. Um, trying to think of another movie off the top of my head. I had two of them here and I forgot to write the second one down. Of course. I, think, I think the closest movie that I could probably compare this to would be Clue. I think okay. I think they're very similar in in comparison, but I really love Clue a lot more for some reason. I think it's just the Tim Curry, Madeline Kahn, you know. Um, Tim Curry, I don't think he's ever made a bad movie ever. Well, I can't think of one top of my head. I'll give it that. I, 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 yeah, could, say, I, mean, I could say I you guys will be like, "What?" Don't you? Kyle would just get up and, and leave his hot dogs there. Right, what do you think is his worst movie? I want to hear this. What do I think is? Yeah. Movie say, go for it go for it yeah i do i'll, say, I I'll pers- save my criticism after you say it personally okay personally me <laughs> the rocky horror picture show oh my god i'm sorry <laughs> and jen's walked off that's the set that's fair that's fair <laughs> jen, i don't blame you i respect your opinion i have to deal with him because i meet him every week <laughs> <laughs> and jen's walked off the sequel to that movie i would completely completely agree with you with what? Uh, What'd you say? If we were talking about the sequel to that movie, I would. Well, that was really bad. <laughs> not terrible. Um, yeah, well, I'm hard pressed to find one. I mean, I like pretty much everything he's done from like the worst witch onward. So, but then I like really cheesy movies. So, <laughs> you can find it. You should watch it. I think you would appreciate it. It's another weird, quirky movie from way back. Twisted way back, like 1991. 
<laughs> no, this is like a, oh gosh, hold on. You're going to make me do some Google now. One. Twisted Transylvania. I'll be clicking yeah. on your computer because I can hear that. You'll start be getting the, the funny memes coming to you. <laughs> no, don't do it. Hold on. Let me mute. You all keep talking. I will mute. Okay. All right. We'll keep talking then. Yeah. Well, I'm saying it's also kind of like it's adjacent in my mind to something like Tim Burton films as well. Possibly like right, that's Christmas what I would say. Those kind of things too. Like uh, Sweeney Todd, um, specifically having like gleeful comedy and body horror, or even like maybe like Mars Attacks to a degree, something like that too, where it's exactly. obsessed. With- Mars Attacks is a perfect, perfect example. Yeah. Yeah. I so. enjoyed Mars Attacks too. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? But it's yeah. not Oscar worthy. You know what I mean? I can agree with that. I think there's a. I, I would think that Oscars fail to recognize these movies in the way that's appropriate. <laughs> I think like you can make Oscars that would reflect the quality of these films and what they're trying to do, but I don't think Oscars are willing to admit that these movies are making fun of the Oscars. Oh, that's why ways. we have. That's why we have the awards like the Golden Schmooze, <laughs> okay. Golden Schmooze, and other awards like that too. I also. Oh, I also feel like um, like what about Bob in this movie too? With uh, uh, uh what was it? What was the no, from, no, but no, the um, the therapist. What was his the, oh, the actor's uh, name? I gotta look at real quick. What about Bob? <laughs> Bill Murray, such a great movie. Uh, but the, the, I remember the therapist is all obsessed with his image too, and eventually that kind of like bites him in the butt. And it's all about oh, Richard Dreyfuss's character, Dr. Leo right. Marvin. <laughs> I would answer that the movie was from 1989. 1989, exactly. The the distant past, as they say. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I was five. It's over 30 years ago now. What did you say? 1989. <laughs> 1989. Like 12, 13. I was just a young lad. So I think we're in agreement that it's 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 a good movie to watch. It's a fun movie to watch, that's for sure. And that you could sit down and watch it and laugh every time you watch it. The fight scene alone probably deserves to be up there in one of the greatest fight scenes of all time. I know Kyle's thinking exactly, that. exactly. Especially like it's like definitely like for as little as we say it, it's a like top tier women on woman fight for sure. <laughs> Kyle, like the movie like The Hunt from like two years ago that had an amazing fight scene between two women, and and, like this one's up there like top ten for me. Like okay, like I didn't think like top ten woman fight movies. And Kyle's like the greatest fight scenes of all time: Luke Skywalker versus Darth Vader, Madeline versus Helen. Exactly, exactly, (laughs) right up there. (laughs) The salt eight on the top ten list, right? Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Any closing comments you would like to say? I mean, I disagree with you. I, I think it. I think it's definitely one of those movies. If you're just looking for something fun to watch, it's definitely worth that. I agree with you, Jen. I do. Yeah. No worry. I'll fight for you, Viewpoint, in future weeks. Yeah. That's how we're. That's how we're all thoughts. Jimbo right. closes out. I think that's a wrap. <laughs> all and- right. I think this episode's coming to a close, and that's a wrap. And Kyle and Jen, and cut. Synced up perfectly every time. <laughs>